1: Hi, it's Manveen here. Just a reminder that today's episode of our series, The Messiah and His Kittens, was first published earlier this year.
2: Before we begin, a warning that some listeners might find what you're about to hear distressing. There are also explicit sexual references from the beginning. Last time, on The Messiah and His Kittens
3: the leader has these two qualities, charisma and authoritarianism. They also cut people off from each other in interesting ways within the group.
4: They isolate you. It is like a toxic relationship. We were not allowed to talk among ourselves either.
3: He started to realize if he involves women in this, a lot of people watch it and he's going to be
4: popular. All the male members of this organization's committed financial crimes, sexual crimes,
5: It was disgusting.
2: So can you tell me about how you first got into recruiting women to the group?
5: So it developed slowly. The trick was to get close to a woman. First, you become a boyfriend. To do that, you have to present yourself as a rich and decent man. You have to be a Prince Charming.
2: I'm talking to Urshayn. He's a former lion, a male member of Adnan Oktar's cult. In 2018, he left the group and turned against them.
5: The cult would arrange the whole setup.
2: His words are being spoken by an actor.
5: Your clothes, office, car, business, house. You become a man whose duty it is to find women. So I'd go and approach women and hand them a fake business card, offering her a work opportunity. Then after that, you become her boyfriend, and once you become lovers, you promise to marry her. So you start having sex with her, but not vaginal sex. Uh, You tell her, no, no, that is for marriage. For now, we can only have anal sex.
2: The women would think he was their boyfriend. They'd fall for his charm and good looks. Then he would change the stakes, humiliating them, making them more vulnerable.
5: And then you convince the women to have group sex. You say stuff like, oh, we're going to get married. Soon it will just be you and me forever, so let's realise all our fantasies now so we don't regret it later. So it becomes like a race. You keep giving her a new target and she keeps trying to catch up with that. And then at the end of the race is Adnan Oktar. So what you do is you say to her, right, we're gonna get married, but first I want to introduce you to the most important person in my life so he can bless our marriage. And then I take her to Oktar. He knows what to do and how to deal with her.
2: At the time when you were dating all these women with the view of eventually just handing them over to Adnan Oktar, how did you feel about what you were doing?
6: Yani bunu bir gibi zaten.
5: Şöyle so, I saw it as a religious practice at the time. Let me give you a metaphor. Picture this. There's a fire in the building and there's a girl inside and for some reason she doesn't want to get out. But you need to take her out of that fire. So, that's how I felt. I saw girls in this way and I would do anything to get them out of the building. However bad. I know it sounds ridiculous, but that's what I believed at the time.
2: You're listening to The Messiah and His Kittens, a podcast brought to you by The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Louise Callaghan, the Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times. In this series, I'm investigating what lay beneath the brash, gaudy exterior of Turkey's most powerful cult – I'll try to understand
3: more, through those that
2: were involved.
6: There is only
4: one purpose in life, and it's love.
3: This turned into one of his propaganda machines.
5: Why? Is Louise trustable? Young women can now walk freely in shopping malls. That's because
2: of me. God
3: will reveal Mr. Adnan Oktar and my friends are innocent. Everyone is ready in the world right now to believe anything.
2: And now in jail, does Adnan Oktar still have any influence? last episode, I spoke to a woman who was sexually abused by Adnan Oktar as a teenager in the 80s. We also met one of Oktar's henchmen, who spent years laundering vast sums of cash for the cult, before turning on them. Today, I speak to one of his fellow lions, before both these men suddenly turn against me. We also go back to the moment it all came crashing down. This is part three, the turnstile system. Adnan Oktar tends to refer to his cult as a group of friends. But this Turkish televangelist, who over the years had been seen with senior government officials, believed he was a messiah-like figure battling against dark forces. He also surrounded himself with scantily clad women, who he called his kittens. How did you decide which girls
6: to target? Girls to target?
2: That's the voice of Beril, my Turkish producer. We'd gone to Shahin's flat together to talk to him about his time in the cult. <laughs>
6: When
5: you spend too much time with Adnan Oktar, you know exactly which type of girls or women he wanted, how smart she should be and other stuff. You know, this setup; is really difficult for girls to get out of it. It's like the Serengeti. We were like jackals and hyena hunting down a gazelle. It is very systemic. Everybody works on it. Nothing is spontaneous. Everything is planned and perfected through a system of trial and error. Still, we approached thousands of women every year, but only a few actually joined the cult.
2: Orr's main job was to lure in young female recruits. He did it through something in the cult called the turnstile system. It worked like this. Orr would approach women in shopping malls, restaurants, or anywhere really, and find an excuse to give them a business card. He'd say he had a job for them, or perhaps that he worked for a modelling agency. Once they got in touch, he would groom them, gaining their trust, meeting them again and again. He would become their boyfriend, their confidant, constantly ramping up the relationship. It would start off friendly, but the result was always the same. The women were trapped.
5: We weren't just recruiting girls to give them to Adnan Oktar to sexually abuse. There is a bigger picture here. It was better to recruit women because they were more useful for the organisation. Women are easier to control than men.
2: Ulr has dark shadows under his eyes and a greyish tint to his skin. He's slightly overweight and is dressed in a tracksuit. He looks tired and defeated. I wanted to see what Ulr looked like back then. Do you have any pictures of yourself from that time? Because honestly, the 37 year old man sitting in front of me didn't strike me as a Lothario
6: figure. Yes, he
3: has.
6: You want to see now? Yeah, is that okay? (laughs) (laughs)
5: <laughs> what, do you think I look older now?
2: Or takes out his phone and shows me some photos of what he looked like just a few years ago. Yeah, man, you, yeah, you look different. He was handsome, well-dressed, confident. Did Adnan Okta want you to look a specific way as men?
5: I was skinnier because I had to exercise. It's like being a professional footballer. You have to stay in shape.
2: Did they buy you clothes or do they ask you to dress a certain way?
5: Sometimes we bought them, sometimes they gave us them, you know, uh, Versace and stuff.
2: So when you were trying to trick these girls into joining the cult, where were you taking them?
5: We had various houses prepared, basically, specifically for this, to recruit the women. They were in fancy neighbourhoods, inside a mansion by the Bosphorus. And you'd say, this is my house.
2: After Urd had gained a woman's trust and made her reliant on him, he would take her to one of Oktar's houses. He would tell her that she was going to be on TV or that she was going to meet one of his friends. Instead, Oktar would sexually abuse her. Over the years, the system brought hundreds of women into the cult. Some of them would end up on A9 TV, Adnan Oktar's channel. So I'm watching a video on YouTube, which is from A9 TV. There's Turkish traditional music playing in the background. And in the audience, sitting on these what look like pink velvet chairs, there's more than a dozen, maybe like 20 men and women. So the women are sitting at the front. These are the kittens. And a lot of them look really, really similar. They have straight blonde hair, loads and loads of makeup, and uh, they're dressed in... Really kind of skimpy dresses. They just have these grins plastered across their faces. They're clapping along with the music. There's nothing really like this on Turkish TV. Okay, sure, there there are shows where people dance. But the very, very serious kind of devotional thing is just not something you'd see. No one is in any way reacting like this is a strange thing to be doing. So Adnan though, is wearing this quite ill-fitting suit. Has stood up, he's been sitting on the stage, he's stood up and he asked one of these women in the audience for a dance.
6: <inaudible>
2: she's really, really pretty. She looks like she's in her early 20s. She's got up on the stage, gazing adoringly at him and dancing. Well, he's kind of standing in front of her, jiggling about, waving his hands around. It's incredibly uncomfortable. You can imagine if you were a very young woman and you had dropped into this situation. And there was all these people sitting there who look, you know, perfectly presentable. And they're all sitting there acting like this is completely normal. You can kind of understand how you wouldn't be the one to stick out and say, hey, what's going on here? Or, is this actually fun? Why would this pretty young woman want to dance with this weird old guy? No one's saying that. Everyone seems to be desperately trying to command his attention.
5: The atmosphere when Octar was around was pretty tense. We had to be respectful to him, laugh at his jokes, you know, even though they weren't funny. And we would see how badly he treated the women when the cameras weren't rolling. Away from the show, he acted completely differently. He had a room in the basement where he would take new girls to harass and finger them.
2: Earlier you said that Adnan Oktar didn't just want the women for his own sexual gratification, he wanted them because they were easier to control. But to do what? Apart from the perversion and the, and the abuse, what was the point of what Adnan Oktar was doing? What did he need all these followers for?
6: He
5: wanted a good life and spiritual satisfaction. You know, uh, the top level of that, I guess, is having hundreds of people from rich and prominent families following your orders.
2: He wanted power, he wanted money. Was there anything
6: else he wanted?
5: Well, yeah, all of those things. But, you know, he wanted people idolising him, saying how handsome he was and looking at his expensive suits made of silk and gold. He was sick and praising him fed that sickness. These compliments were feeding his soul.
6: Do you regret what you did? Yeah,
5: I do. And that's why I started the struggle against the organisation. You know, thousands of people much more powerful than me left the cult. But unlike me, they didn't speak out against it.
2: Özkan, the other lion, Orr's friend who I met in the last episode, testified against the cult and took part in the police operation against them in 2018. They struck a deal, avoiding prison, and were given immunity. They seemed to feel like they were the ones who brought the cult down.
5: So we started this struggle so that no other Ur, no other Uzcan would join them.
2: At the same time, have you apologised to any of these women? Do you feel like you should apologise to them?
5: I didn't go to each individual woman to apologise. But actually... I apologise to all women in Turkey through what I did. By helping bring down the cult, young women can now walk freely in shopping malls. That's because of me. Look, you probably can't rationalise what happened, what has been done to these women. Everything sounds so absurd. Religion is a beautiful thing, but if it's instrumentalised by the wrong people... It can turn into a weapon. Think of ISIS suicide bombers. They don't pity people. They normalise it and treat the bombers as heroes. We thought we were doing the right thing when we were recruiting the women. It was just us misunderstanding religion and believing in that crazy guy.
2: As the interview came to an end, Orr seemed to want to make a point to me. You
6: yani bunu şöyle düşünmemek lazım.
5: Don't see this as just stupid girls being fooled into joining a cult. It could have happened to you as well, no matter how smart you
4: are.
2: It kind of felt like a throwaway remark. An interesting point, I thought. Essentially, you might think you're smart, but you could fall for something like this too. 24 hours later, these comments would feel a lot more sinister.
0: Hi,
5: I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day,
0: subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash
6: stories of our times.
1: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: After the interview, my Turkish producer, Beril and I, jumped in a cab to go home.
6: What did you think? I think he was struggling a lot. When we interviewed Özcan, he
2: seemed like he'd kind of worked through, worked through this. Özkan was the other lion I spoke to in part two of this series. He was Adnan Oktar's money guy. He'd like got on with his life. Yeah. He got married, he had a kid. But this guy, he seemed like he was still really struggling. Yeah. Even just the way that he looks. I mean, he, lo- he looks quite defeated.
3: He looks like he wants to do something. But he doesn't have the energy. What does that do to a person, you know? He
6: doesn't know how to do things. I I kind of felt that. He's like so uh, ready to be dominated again. Like he just really
2: wants someone to tell him what to do. Yeah. Beril and I soon got back to our own flats. And that was that for now. But the next evening, I got a call from her. What Beryl had to say was so crazy, I didn't really understand. So I went round to her flat.
6: So I received a message from Özkan. So right after we left Or's house,
4: mm-hmm.
2: Or was saying to us, yeah, you know, use anything from the interview that you want, call me anytime if you need anything. He seemed okay with everything.
6: Yeah. And then I came home, it was the midnight, and I received a message from Özkan. So I we interviewed
2: Özkan on Monday, then we met Ur on Thursday,
6: yes. right? And then so Thursday night he calls you. He sends me a message mm-hmm. and he says...
4: Beryl, hi. I'm bothering you. It's 11.30. Sorry about this. Is Louise trustable?
6: And I said, of course she is. Did something happen? And he says...
4: On Monday, we will report her. It will be a comprehensive criminal report from me and Ur. And then she'll understand what it is, what is going on. And he said... We do not allow her to publish our interviews anywhere. Our lawyers will take the necessary actions about this. It will be very comprehensive.
6: Well, what, did it, what are they saying in Turkish? like yeah, okay. trying to say that they're already experienced about it. Like um, no, that, that I can't get one over on them, basically. Yeah, and I said, can we speak on the phone? He said,
4: no, sorry, I'm not available.
6: I said, why are you so angry? I don't understand. He said,
4: there is no anger. Smiley face emoji.
2: Is going on? That's like some. It's like he's just repeating lines from the Sopranos. I immediately kind of, I was thinking, what could I have done? Like, yeah. Did I say anything wrong? But like, I don't even have this guy's number. I've only been with you when we met him that yeah. one time. I haven't had any other contact with him. Like, I just don't know. During our interview with him or with Aud, was there anything that jumped out where you thought, "Oh, this is going to really annoy him"? Or, no, I mean, I'm thinking of our interview with Oscar. Özkan certainly seemed to be taking the lead. It appears he was the one directly threatening to denounce me to the authorities.
6: The only thing I realised was that he was trying to be on top of everything. He was trying to control the narrative, you Mm. know? He's
2: not saying just that, oh, I just don't want to be a part of it. He's accusing me of something, I don't know what, and I just have no idea what it could have been. Is he still a member of the group? Yeah. And then this is some kind of elaborate way to trick us? Uh Or is he trying to
6: extort us somehow? Or blackmail us? We should maybe listen to the interview one more time and see if there's a... At any point he was uncomfortable. I
2: felt uncomfortable.
6: These guys, I'm not
2: sure that they realise quite how bad the stuff that they did was. They think. They have also suffered. Yes, of course they have. And they think that because they stood up in court Mm -hmm. and helped bring Oktar down, that absolves them of everything that they did. What they did was very important. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's hundreds of women's lives who have been ruined. Yeah. And the level of guilt that these guys at least admitted to be experiencing... Yeah. ...was not huge. Mm
6: -hmm.
2: When Özkan and Úr were in the cult, this type of behaviour, threatening people with legal action, was commonplace.
6: And now they're out of the group, they're against the group, but
2: they are using the same tactics. It just shows how these kind of cycles of abuse continue. I mean, obviously, like, they they have no case, but if they denounced me to the authorities saying that I'm a terrorist or that I'm a spy, which I'm obviously not, then it could cause pretty major problems for me. And it did. That same day, I spoke to my lawyer in Turkey, who advised me to leave the country. A few hours later, I was gone. Now, having to leave Turkey was not ideal. My lawyer told me to lay low for a while. I was worried that Özcan Or would file some kind of bogus lawsuit against me. Human rights groups say that journalists in Turkey have been thrown in jail with very little evidence after highly politicised trials. I didn't think this would happen to me, but I just had no idea what Uzkan and Ura were going to do. Bombarding people with lawsuits was a tactic the cult had used to threaten anyone who had spoken out against them. It did make me wonder, why were these former lions so paranoid? Were they still afraid of speaking out against Adnan Oktar? They had testified against him, after all. Had they convinced themselves that I was a shadowy agent of the British deep state that Oktar was so obsessed with? Or did they just think they hadn't come off well in the interview? Bedir stayed in Istanbul. She wasn't worried about their threats since they were only directed at me. Both Özkan and Ord withdrew their consent for their interviews to be broadcast. But as you can hear, we've decided to run them in this podcast series. They agreed to the interview beforehand and what they told me is in the public interest. It's one thing if someone asks me to pull an interview because they're afraid or embarrassed. It's quite another if they try to threaten or blackmail me. But let's get back to Adnan Oktar's story. On Wednesday, the 11th of July, 2018, Oktar and 182 of his followers were arrested in dorm raids.
3: 5 a.m. in the morning of the operation, one of our friends called us before the sunrise.
2: That's Jaylan Özgül, a former kitten who defected
3: from the cult. In front of her house, there is one of the cult's houses. And she said, there's something happening. <laughs> so- she called and she said, "There is something happening in front of my house." And then I remember I searched the social media. One guy tweeted, "There is a police helicopter close to Adnan Oktar's compound." I said, "Yes, this is it."
2: That day, teams of policemen from the financial crimes unit raided Dragos, Adnan Oktar's hilltop compound, and other houses and businesses associated with him in Istanbul and three other cities. The news channels were beaming footage of him being led away in handcuffs. Helicopters were hovering overhead. Oktar was sharply dressed in a black suit. As he was being pulled out of a car by police, journalists asked about the charges against him. This is a game by the British deep state, he replied. As soon as the arrests had been made, the cult blamed Jaylan.
3: Even in their testimonies, all of these are hundreds of first testimonies. I'm the spy and I'm working for British government. And it's not our government, but it's the British government asking him to be imprisoned.
2: For Oktar and his people, Jaylan says, it was just a tactic to save
3: face. They cannot tell people in the car, look, Jaylan just uh, left and she thrives. So they are saying Jaylan became a spy. Jaylan was able to leave because she was a spy all along. Were you not afraid that they were going to come for you? Who? The group. You're either going to do whatever you want, no matter what it costs you, or you're going to die afraid of a lot of things. My limit of being afraid was full years ago, so I just... It's a bad thing, it's not a good thing. I'm not afraid of anything anymore.
2: Jaylan turning against the cult was a big deal. Over the decades, Adnan Oktar had worked hard to create a system designed to control and isolate his followers, forcing them to do his bidding. By the late 2010s, it was almost impenetrable. But Jaylan broke the mould. She was one of the most prominent kittens, front and centre on A9 TV. But she lived trapped inside Dragos, Octav's compound. In 2018, when she finally escaped, they weren't happy. The information that she gave to the police and her testimony played a huge role in bringing down the cult, as did Özcan and To get a sense of how important Jaylan was to the cult, a story she told me about her first, and failed, attempt to get away from the compound, sums it up. The plan was to say she was going to the hospital and once she was there, jump in a taxi.
3: I arranged a doctor's visit and I thought that, you know, in front of the hospital when I get off the car, I would just take a taxi. I chose a hospital which I knew were a lot of taxis around where I had to get off the car.
2: The problem was... The cult suspected something was up. So, Jaylan told me, three kittens, all carrying guns, went with her.
3: They helped me physically. Literally, they took me out of the taxi from my arm and they, they just took me back to the compound and Adanokta sent me to another place where I was literally imprisoned. He would show my face on live TV afterwards to show people I'm okay, I'm alive, you know. Every single communication I had was filtered.
2: In the winter of 2020, now aged 64, Oktar went on trial. There were no TV cameras inside the court. It's against the law in Turkey. There was, however, a lot of press coverage.
3: The fifth hearing of the case against Adnan Oktar and his
5: group is being held today. Oktar denied all the accusations against him he said-
4: on the fourth day of the trial, Oktar, who was in danger of staggering and falling, said mashallah to the kittens, who were laughing at him. Okay.
5: The indictment details Adnan Oktar's establishment, structure, rules, inter organisational marriages, the organization's
6: historical development, ideology, per TV news. A former director of Istanbul Police Organised Crime Control Bureau and the complainant said, Let
5: them deny the charges as much as they like. News reports. Regarding the allegations of the hierarchical structure of the organisation, Oktar said, There is no such thing as hierarchy. There is a sincere group of friends. All of my friends are rich.
2: Oktar stood trial, along with over 200 members of the cult. They were accused of a truly bewildering array of crimes, from attempted military espionage, to forgery, torture, membership of a terrorist organisation, and unlawfully recording personal data. On the 11th of January last year, Adnan Oktar was found guilty on 10 counts, which included forming and leading a criminal gang, abduction, fraud, and sexual assault of minors. He was sentenced to 1,075 years and three months, behind bars. 13 other high-ranking members of his group were also given lengthy jail times, while others received shorter sentences. But that is not the end of this story. Next time on The Messiah
3: and His Kittens.
2: Were you surprised that some people stuck with the cult even after Oktar was in
3: prison? No, I was surprised that a lot of people left.
2: Having attended court in the UK and being very used to certain formalities, it did seem
3: rather shambolic to me.
2: Despite being arrested, convicted and discredited, there are those that still support Adnan Oktar.
3: I know that sooner or later, God will reveal that I am innocent. God will reveal Mr Adnan Oktar and my friends are innocent.
2: And could he soon be free? You've been listening to The Messiah and His Kittens with me, Louise Callaghan. It's brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. The series is written by me and Will Rowe. It's produced by Will Rowe. The producer in Turkey is Berileski. The executive producer is Asya Fuchs. With original music and sound design by Tom Birchall. And the actors voicing Ur Shahin and Özkan Mamati were Ben Deary and Stefan Booth. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, there are some helplines and websites you can access. Just go to the notes in the podcast description.